This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 4, Episode 14. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. As of the recording of this episode, I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by Jacob Paulson. And as of this episode, probably being published to the podcast feed, some of you may be listening to this on or very near Thanksgiving Day. So we wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. Oh, yes. There's yes, a mute button, Jacob. Yeah, I, I forgot I muted myself. It's like the go-to online faux pas of 2021. <laughs> yes. So anyway, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Okay. I thought you had something else to say. No, happy Thanksgiving. That's it. That's all I wanted to chime in with. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, uh, we hope everyone is doing well and are safe and uh, healthy and happy and hopefully enjoying this holiday season with loved ones or those that you care about. Or you might be spending it with some people you care less about than... (laughs) You might be in that situation where you're like, oh man, I got to go spend time with these crazy yahoos. Either way, we hope you get through it in one piece and healthy and happy. So, today's episode is going to be an interesting topic. We're, we're in, the, the title of it is, well, the same as the article that inspired it, Too Much Situational Awareness. An article written by Greg Elifritz over at ActiveResponseTraining.net. thought this was a great uh, jumping off point and inspiration for today's topic. So we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about situational awareness, how to conduct risk assessment, how to know whether you are dialed in appropriately or, or not. How much situational awareness is enough? How much is too much? Where do we draw the line? How do we figure that out? Lots of things we can talk about here today. So stick around. I think you'll enjoy today's topic. Today's episode is sponsored by American Gun Law, as found in our Guardian University library of videos. American Gun Law is a video course we filmed a couple years ago with a top attorney, understands, and he breaks down with us, in, really with Jacob. Jacob is the principal interviewer of that uh, of that video, uh, and... Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an older video at this point. It was one of the it is the first one we ever produced, but the content's still relevant and very 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 useful. American Gun Law. You can find it at concealedcarry.com forward slash Guardian University, and that'll take you to a page where you'll learn about Guardian University, which is our online video training library. And you have two two options. You can choose and purchase video training courses a la carte or just become a Guardian Nation member and get access to everything as part of your membership which is what I'd recommend you do yeah what do you say Jim? Uh, 
Yes, do that. <laughs> we would like to get your money every month. <laughs> well, you know, and, and uh, allow us to continue producing other great video content or, or video training courses in the future as well. So, Yeah, I'm being a bit facetious, but, but in, a, in a more realistic note, we're, you know, we're talking about thousands of dollars worth of content that makes up Guardian University between all the different courses been filmed in the past and will be released in the future and of course uh, also like our guardian nation live broadcast archive and many many other mm-hmm. things as well so yeah awesome speaking of which we'll be adding to the guardian nation live archive tonight with an interview with varg freeborn so mm-hmm. that'll be fun speaking of which that's the topic we're talking about today is kind of right up varg's alley so today's episode sponsor also is the 2022 guardian conference um this may be the first time we are officially discussing it on the podcast i don't recall either way if you haven't heard we are scheduled guys we are locked in the dates are set for the 2022 guardian conference i'm supporting my 2021 guardian conference special t-shirt here uh we had a great time this last year just a, what about two months ago now we had our 20 our first ever first annual 2021 guardian conference had a lot of fantastic instructors a lot of great training opportunities and those that were in attendance well jacob you've seen the survey results i mean give us what was the uh what what, what was the consensus from attendees about the event it was real good people really <laughs> liked it I think, uh, you know, for all the reasons that a conference like that is is valuable, right? You're getting lots of different insights from lots of different, um, generally hard to access expensive trainers in a very short period of time. You're also networking with amazing people. It's all around good time, good food, good people, and good education. Yes. Um, I would say I was overwhelmed by the positive feedback we received from attendees from our first year of putting on the Guardian Conference. So what does that mean for 2022? It's going to be bigger. It's going to be more awesome. And it's going to be better. So you're going to want to be there. We've already sold some tickets. Actually sold more tickets than I would have guessed for having done very little promotion of it thus far to this point. So guys, uh, don't wait. I think it's... We didn't quite sell out tickets to the 2021 Guardian Conference, but I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if we sold out for 2022. And right now we have the super early bird pricing in effect. So go to guardianconference.com and get signed up today. The dates are what September 16th to the 19th or 18th? 16, 17, 18. Yeah. So in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, at the Oklahoma City Gun Club, same venue as this last year. You know what? It's a great venue, has all the space we need, lots of shooting bays, uh, buildings and structures, you know, so we, we, don't, we don't have to stand out in the, in the baking sun all day, or we can get out of the rain should it come. So, and we're going to probably have some low light classes like we did this last time as well. Uh, probably a lot of the same but also some different and new and fresh and both in terms of content and as well as instructors working i'm working on that right now so i'm getting that locked in guys we hope to see you at the 2022 guardian conference again guardianconference.com 
Let's get into our topic, Jacob. Uh, folks, first of all, you should note that in the show notes of today's episode, you will see under resources a link to the article that inspired this discussion. Uh, you'll find that over at activeresponsetraining.net. I'm not going to give you the full link verbally here, so go check the show notes or go to, go directly to his site, and you know you can. I don't know whether it's on the main homepage there or not, but uh, you should be able to find the article that, again, is titled Too Much Situational Awareness. So you you went through this article. Yeah, as of right now, it's still on the main page, but that may not, you know, by the time you hear this episode, it, it may not still be, you know, because he publishes stuff almost every day. So, Jacob, you read this article. What was uh, your initial impression I, I think it's a worthy topic that we don't discuss much. I think that we obviously always harking on how you should have situational awareness, how you need to be aware of what's going on around you. And I think that that's become more prevalent. The need has become more prevalent than uh, in, in history because we're a more distracted society, right? We're always on our phones, especially, and, and things like that. Um, but I think that Mr. Elefritz does a good job of first uh, deter, you know, dictating or, or, or describing some of the risks, some of the downsides to being too situationally, too situationally aware. Ooh, that was hard to say. Like that, you know, that that's not a good thing that you, there is a too much. And then he goes on to talk about how, how, how such, how much situational awareness you need is determined by a number of different factors. And he goes through those factors with a really kind of valuable discussion about how you can, um, you know, make that determination for yourself and decide how on point you need to be because sometimes you need to be able to drop it down uh, both for your sanity and because it's not good to be too much so aware. Yeah, you're exactly right there. How was that, Riley? Um, good summary? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, so, you know, he starts out by talking about a date he went on, a dinner date. And that this date told him that she really appreciated how he was just present with her, you know, just giving her his undivided attention. And that she was kind of surprised by that because she, apparently she had uh, dated or gone on dates with other uh, uh, police officers and firefighters and, 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 and such. And, and, and that one thing she found from some of her previous dating experiences that some of those types of individuals, those working in those jobs or careers that where danger, I think is a bit more of a part of what they do, uh, that, she, you know, she often felt like her dates were not particularly paying attention to her or presently, you know, there, you know, just giving her their attention and, 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 um, really, uh, being an active participant of that date, you know, that, that she had certainly had some experience of being on dates with guys that, you know, would spend a significant amount of the night looking around and being all situationally aware. And so knowing that Greg is, I mean, Greg's a well-respected trainer in the industry, uh, retired, you know, recently retired, uh, city cop. Uh, he's done a lot in his life and in his career. And, you know, she was, she commented on him being basically, you know, calm and not 
you know, head on a swivel constantly throughout the night as they're having a conversation. He was, he was paying attention to her, his date. And she, and that was, that was a good thing. Right. So I thought that was an interesting way that he started this article. Uh, and I can definitely see how this would, um, I, I, I could relate to this to a certain extent. Um, First of all, just like a little bit of a self-admission or confession, if you will, uh, I have been in my, my whole life, as long as I can remember, a bit of a, I almost feel awkward saying this, but a bit of a people watcher. Like, I'm just, I'm fascinated by human behavior a lot of times, and in all kinds of public environments, I just, I tend to watch and observe others uh even if it wasn't with the idea of like, is this person a threat to me? And I need to be, you know, situation situationally aware. It's more of just a, I, I tend to just observe people. Um, as a child, I grew up quite quiet and would just sort of sit in the back and just be, I was perfectly content to just be quiet and watch others do their thing. Um, it might come as a surprise to some people because I've, as I've matured, I've become a bit, um, I, I'm definitely still f- primarily an introvert, but <clears throat> I've become a lot more balanced in being able to put myself out there and talk and meet and greet and communicate with others. But I've, I've always had this tendency to kind of observe. And so that, that, that tends to, without me really noticing it myself, I, that tends to take place. That is, I am, you know, say at dinner with my wife sitting across the table from each other, I'll be just kind of like taking note of who else is in the environment and just kind of amusing myself by the various characteristics and going on, goings on of, of, you know, other people. So that's just kind of, that's just, that's just me. All right. Um, fast forward a few years from my childhood. And as I became more aware of just the idea of situational awareness from the context of paying attention to the potential existence of something that might be a threat, then that became a very natural thing for me to pay attention to. Uh, I would say it almost naturally evolved based on my just sort of general people observation that it, it just naturally evolves into like taking note of potential threats, if that makes sense. So I don't know. I don't know exactly where I'm going with that other than I know I've certainly been in situations and probably with my wife where or, or with a date, you know, going back in a number of years, you know, pre-wife, where I might have been guilty of this very thing of just not really being totally focused on the person in front of me. Well, I, I'm guilty of it all the time, uh, mostly because I'm distracted by my own phone. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure if you ask my wife, she could tell you all about it, you know, or my kids. Um and and it's it's a it's a it's a thing that you know you're always I think I'm always working on I'm trying to be better all the time but um, you know I try and make a mental note especially when a business meeting or a more formal thing I try and put my phone in my pocket and and remind myself it's okay if I ignore it like nothing on that phone is going to be so urgent that I need to be you know 
disrespectful to the people I'm with. And I think that that you know um, that's an entirely different way of being distracted or unengaged with a conversation or with a person with whom you're with. But either way, we got to remember that there's a, a polite and a rude way to to be with other humans. And if you're constantly looking around and you know every single time you hear a noise and you know staring deeply into the eyes of people on the other end of the building, that's that's not nice. That's not polite. That's rude. So whether you're just too situationally aware, or if you're just distracted by your cell phone like me, uh, that's not cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is definitely, uh, I think, an issue many of us struggle with. Uh, I myself can get distracted by my my digital devices as well. Um, so I mean, really, at the core of a lot of what we're talking about so far is the importance of giving someone that we are spending time with the quality of our time, not just the quantity that, you know, not just that we're there with them, not that we're just, you know, in the same room, generally doing the same thing, but that we're actually engaged and giving them quality time. uh, that, That, that is something that, I think many in our society probably actually don't do very well at. But in the context yeah. of situational awareness, there are those that would make the case, particularly when we're in a public environment, that, you know, because I, I see this phrase used a fair amount and, you know, stuff like head on a swivel, you know, head up, eyes you know, looking around, you know, kind of thing. And, and, uh, I'm, I, I, I'm not saying that that's a, a bad thing at all. Um, and it is important to be aware of our surroundings and, and of the environment that we find ourselves in. However, well, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, uh, I'm just going to say that just because we have our head on a swivel, and just because we are looking around at stuff that is occurring about us doesn't mean that we're actually seeing and recognizing what's taking place there and that we're seeing and recognizing potential threats, all right? Because there's more to it than just head on a swivel, looking around, okay? Um, for instance, threat recognition is a skill, uh, we're going to talk some more about that, but just, just the ability of understanding the characteristics and the, uh, the body language, the, you know, pre-attack indicators and all these sorts of things. Like that's, that's something that it, it's not mm, to some extent, some of that's, I think, intuitive, but some of it's not. Or at least we become more skilled at reading those kinds of things uh, the more we understand about those things and the more we study these types of topics. Um, And even when we think we have a pretty good grasp of those things, it's still entirely possible we will miss certain cues. Uh, So just because, in other words, just because we are, you know, doing this, turning, turning around and checking everything out doesn't mean we're truly 
100% situationally aware at all times. And in fact, I would argue it's impossible to be truly 100% situationally aware, whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even if you were like all over that, I, I still think that there's potential downsides, right? I mean, we don't, I'm not mm-hmm. saying like benefit and risk, right? Like we're not saying like let your situational awareness drop and put yourself at risk. But we talked about being rude to others. Another issue is just the gray man concept, yes. right? I mean, do you want to be the person who sticks out to the other people who are being situationally aware? Is that weirdo who's staring at everybody and, you know, twitching every time, you know, there's a sound and, <laughs> you know, t- turn into constantly looking and, you know, checking their six. Like that's also not doing you any tactical favors. Yeah. Well, I mean, so here's the thing is that, um, yeah, and I, I've actually kind of in, I've engaged somewhat in argument with individuals online about this very thing, and, and meaning that they would they would be pro- proponents of being actively situationally aware at all times, and I would say, yeah, but that can be its own tell, and that's essentially what you're talking about here, because an example of what someone who's being situationally aware would maybe take note of would be things like twitchy nervous movements shifty eyes and you might go like you might kind of be like whoa what's up with that what's up with that guy right because we pick up on that stuff as human beings we we do that's a that's a pretty basic like nervous energy in a person that is something that generally is pretty intuitive for most people to to pick up on they may not always notice it or it may not come to the forefront of their mind but it'll be, it'll be typically noticed to, to some degree and some extent. And so, if that's if that's what you think situational awareness is, is is this constant, you know, uh, what's the word, um, uh, you know, not diligence, but constant. Um, I just keep coming back to situationally aware, situational awareness, but this constant. Uh, ah, I can't pull out the word, but. You know, or just like you're just constantly like doing the thing, you know, like right. you're so, gonna, that I is going to be your own tell. Yeah, there's I think there's two takeaways from that. The first one is kind of the reason I brought it up, which is to say that maybe being too situationally aware is a negative. You know, it's counterproductive at some point. But the other takeaway is that, you know, you can learn to be more subtle about it mm-hmm. and, and a little bit less like obvious about it. Um, but in the case of, you know, today's context where we're talking about, you know, the dangers of being too situationally aware, you know, rubbing people the wrong way, being rude and now sticking out like a sore thumb, being, you know, being, being in the, you know, it, it being your own tell, as you said, you know, you not being the gray man anymore. Those are all yeah. concerns. Yeah. Uh, I also think that you got to determine the mission, right? Like, was it yesterday? No, it was Monday. On Monday, I went into Jersey Mike's Subs. Because they're delicious. It's the best of all the national chains. Like, just so you know. Disagreed, but that's okay. It's just the best. That's the best sandwich. And it was double points. I was at Jimmy John's at the precise moment you were at Jersey Mike's. Jimmy Jimmy John's John's is not as good. No, Jimmy John's is not even second on the list. Jimmy (laughs) John's is, it's not even comparable. So I was at Jersey Mike's, which (laughs) the only downside of Jersey Mike's is that I'm sending money back to New Jersey. And, uh, you know, if I cared, I guess, more about that, I'd, sh- I'd go to Quiznos. They're Colorado-based. 
But anyway, I'm sitting at Jersey Mike's, and my only objective is to consume food. I'm not with anyone, okay? I'm just there to eat and enjoy some good, you know, sandwich and a massive chocolate chunk cookie and some stubborn soda, and that's it. That's the only thing I'm doing there. And so in that mission, right, I have to to consider uh, the objective. The objective is certainly to be safe. Uh, I don't care if I piss off anyone. I don't know anyone there, but I don't want to stick out and be some awkward weirdo. Um, So, you know, I got to take all that into context. So maybe I'm checking a text message when it comes in, but maybe I'm I'm being, you know, I'm thinking, hey, I can check that text message when I leave and get back in my car to continue my journey today. Uh, So, you know, I, I think we can make those decisions about, you know, based on, on the objective, if I'm out on a date with my wife, then I got a pretty high objective here because the odds of me being gunned down in a restaurant are much lower than the odds of me getting divorced, like statistically speaking in America. Right. So I think that, you know, nurturing the relationship with my wife takes is a pretty high, important mission and objective. And so to some degree, I got to put other things a little bit behind on that. If it's a business meeting, Right. And we're trying to, you know, to nurture a business relationship. And I got my phone out and I keep checking it and I'm like just staring at everybody coming through the door. That's that's not going to lead to a really good you know, relationship with this person I'm sitting down to eat with. So so again, the point is like, what's the mission and you know, a prioritize based on that mission. Yeah. Well, you know, to that point, there there's this uh paragraph from Greg on his article where he says, presence matters. If you aren't focused on the present moment because you are constantly looking for an attack that will likely never occur, you miss out on a lot of good things in life. And there's a lot of truth in what he says there. A lot of truth. Uh, it, it's easy, as, as particularly as the male uh, partner in some kind of relationship or family dynamic, to, to sort of take the attitude of, well, it's my duty to protect and guard my family and those I care about. And so I'm going to do these things that helps ensure their safety. And because you're busy doing those things, you might not be really paying attention to your family that you're supposed to be spending time with. And you're missing out on those wonderful, beautiful moments that would enhance your life. And so it's like, there is this dichotomy of, but I have to make sure that they're safe. Well, some of the things we're going to, some of the categories we're going to discuss here in a moment are going to help us evaluate what we should, you know, some, some factors we should be considering and taking into account as we sort of weigh these competing interests, if you will. One other quote I wanted to share from his article here, and then we can move on to the uh, first uh, category here. And that is, uh, he says, paradoxically, Having darting eyes and a distracted look might actually make you more subject to victimization. It makes you appear nervous and less confident. Both conditions are go signals for the average criminal. You think you are being aware, but the criminal may perceive your actions in an entirely different way. Um, and that, that this is where it's important to understand some of that criminal psychology piece of things. And there are a lot of different types of criminals out there, a lot of different attitudes, different backgrounds, different um, propensities for violence, different motives, even amongst criminals. Uh, And it's very easy for us to rationalize and say, 
well, you know, if I look like I'm really paying attention, it's going to scare away, you know, 90% of the criminals out there. Kind of like the attitude of, well, if I openly carry my gun, I'm going to automatically scare away all these imaginary bad guys. That may be true, but the problem is, is it doesn't necessarily deter some of the worst of the worst. And there are some guys, I mean, for instance, you're walking down the street and somebody is kind of eyeballing you a little bit, paying you a little bit more attention than the the average person would. And so you might take that to mean like, Ooh, they might be targeting me for something for the commission of a crime. And so maybe you return their stare. There's some guys that will be taken as a challenge as opposed to a deterrent. Okay. And, and there's, we can get, there's some, there's a lot of nuance here. And some of this is stuff that would be far better a conversation to have, have with a Varg Freeborn. And you can go read his book beyond Uda that talks about a lot of this in great detail. And we're going to be talking about it with him tonight in our guardian nation live. Uh, some of these things. So, so the point is, is, uh, just because we got our head on a swivel doesn't mean that that will deter things. And and for some people, it might make us look more nervous and less confident than what we think. And that can create its own problems in terms of our potential victimization. So I just thought that was, I thought that paragraph was like, that one really stood out to me. Yeah, Absolutely. So let's talk then, Riley, about risk assessment and some of the things that might help us determine how situationally aware we need to be. Yeah, and first up, and by the way, again, we're just kind of we're going through through Greg's article here. We're just totally ripping this off, but this is a this is a great article, and he highlights these five areas uh, to consider and that I think are helpful in conducting a risk assessment. And the first one is location. So location, I mean, in, in the example he gave about his date, um, you know, he talks about how this was kind of a higher end restaurant in an up, you know, a more of an upscale neighborhood or part of town. And so that the likelihood of being him specifically, he and his date being targeted for a crime right there, seated in that restaurant, in that specific place, in that specific time, that likelihood of becoming a victim to a crime, very, 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 very low. Not going to say it's impossible, right? Bad things happen to good people in good neighborhoods at all kinds, in all times of day. Um, But when we look at, you know, it's kind of like, the old John Farnham, uh, I think it's John Farnham, or maybe it's Tom Gibbons. I think it's John Farn- Farnham that that you know talks about. Don't you know what what does he call the rule? Uh, you know, don't go to don't go to stupid places at stupid times. You know, with stupid people or something to that effect, right? Uh, and a lot of people get in trouble because they do just that. They go to stupid places at the wrong times of the day. Sometimes maybe not the best people, or or maybe there's not the best people around. And that's a recipe for disaster, right? So that, but, but here, you know, if we're talking about, I'm going out, like typically when I go out on a date with my wife, we go to a a nicer place and it's a lower crime place. And so that is a part of the risk assessment. Hey, 
can relax probably a little bit here because the likelihood of us being victimized is pretty low where we're at. Now, now the walk from the car to the restaurant might be totally different and vice versa. Okay. Or the parking garage, the parking lot or whatever that that's, but that's its own environment. But we're talking about like the moment when we should be paying attention to the person that we're there spending time with can probably relax a little bit. Yeah. We got to think of it on a scale. I mean, you got to think like, okay, if I'm at a check cashing place at midnight in the wrong part of town, like that's really high up on the scale. Like I got to be really turned on because statistically speaking, I'm at much greater risk than, than average, but yeah, in the right part of town at the right restaurant at the right time of day, my risk is much lower. That doesn't mean I have no risk. It just means that statistically it's significantly lower. So that means I can afford to relax a little bit or to be a little bit less on a swivel uh, than I might at the check cashing, check cashing place or payday loan place or pawn shop at you know 9.30 p.m. on a, on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Conversely, going for, and this is kind of an example from Greg's article, going for a walk with your dog on a Sunday morning in your middle class or upper class neighborhood. I, I don't live in an upper class neighborhood. Jacob does. <laughs> but, you <laughs> yeah, know, like, yeah, I, I, you know, my risk is low. Yeah. Yep. So all that should be taken into account. Um, and so. In other words, like you said, a sliding scale where we don't have like if if we rated our level of alertness and situational awareness between zero and 10, where 10 is the classic like, you know, like shifty eyes, head on a swivel, looking and checking everything out. And you're really nervous looking. Okay, that might be an exaggeration, but that's 10 and zero is zero awareness at all. You're walking down the, the street or the sidewalk with your, you know, where you're just engrossed in your cell phone or whatever. Right. Um, you don't have to be at a 10 for every location at all the, these different, yeah. you know, times like no, no one place, no one time is equal to another place at another time. Um, we just had a story. I mean, this is evidenced b- by the numerous justified safe stories we cover on the podcast, right? And we just had one a week or two ago of the guy got robbed at the ATM machine at like 930 at night. Well, maybe don't be visiting the ATM at 930 at night, or at least if for some reason you have to, well, by golly, that's a time to be really switched on and alert. Absolutely. Right, I, I so just, am, I'm okay. having this feeling like this, there, there's potential that someone's listening to this and, and just in complete craziness, like, oh my gosh, Riley and Jacob are going to die tomorrow. You know, I cannot believe that they would be so switched off and that they would endorse, you know, not paying attention like that. I just want to be clear like that's not what we're saying at all and <laughs> not even close. What we're saying is that there's an appropriate and an inappropriate amount of awareness and, and you need to determine what's appropriate based on the mission and based on some of these other things like what we just discussed, location. And it's okay. And in fact, sometimes I think it's even preferable, tactically speaking, to turn it down a notch 
And that that's kind of what we're suggesting. Yeah. It, it's sort of uh, like a forest and trees kind of analogy, you know, sort of thing where like there are, there are times when it's appropriate to just be monitoring the forest. And, and so you're, you're really turning down the mental bandwidth and energy being expended. You're just like, Hey, as long as I still see green forest, like we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. But if all of a sudden some, you know, odd thing that stands out from, from that, from the norm, like that might be all it takes for you to just, just for a brief moment, go, what's that? That, that was out of the, that was out of, out of the norm. Uh, and you can elevate your, your level of alertness and be like, Hmm, something out of the ordinary. I mean, it's like being in that high end restaurant establishment where people are dressed up, you know, a little bit nicer than maybe what I normally would. And, you know, you, you, you pick up on what that, what that's like, you know, that, that's that, that, uh, that feeling of being in kind of a place like that. The minute, the minute somebody walks in a place like that and we're talking about the place where you're going out to dinner with your wife and it's going to be a hundred bucks, right? You know, a nice, nice, you know, decent, well, some, for some of you, that might not be a nice dinner, but for me, that's a nice dinner. Um, (laughs) that type of place, like the minute a homeless dude walks through the front door, would you notice? Oh, absolutely. You'd pick up on a lickety split. Because all of a sudden, something would be outside of the norm. You might even pick up on it, not because you see the homeless man directly, but you may see others and their change in their behavior because they see Mr. Homeless Man walk into this ritzy place. You know what I mean? Like just, just by the fact that you might see subconsciously other people turning their heads and being like, whoa, what's going on here? You might pick up on that. We, we as as human creatures, uh, we're we're very social creatures, and uh, we tend to kind of run with the herd, so to speak. There's a herd mentality there, and if you see all of a sudden everybody's eyes or heads go a certain direction, we all tend to be like, "Whoa, what's going on? What am I missing out on? Like, what what's over there? You know what I mean? Like, so just because you don't see the thing that stands out in a particular place or an environment doesn't mean you will miss out on 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 you know certain cues because you may see that in the in the body language and behavior of others in your environment others that that are like you that you you're there and you're like I'm I'm with my tribe I'm with my herd but the herd does something and you go whoa what's that right so anyway just something to think about there yep next is positioning according to Mr. Elfritz and he talks, for example, about choosing your seating position tactically. And that's, you know, his reference again is a restaurant. But I think this is super valid positioning. You know, I mentioned sitting down eating a sandwich at Jersey Mike's, the best sub sandwich chain. And they should sponsor our podcast. I should send them a request. <laughs> no, Firehouse. <laughs> Firehouse is fine. But it's not as good. They just don't put as, as like the, the meat's not as fresh. It's not sliced right there. So good. Oh my gosh. So, so, you know, I get choices about where I sit in that restaurant. I get choices about 
uh, how I position myself next to exits or bathrooms or foot traffic or the kitchen or, you know, I'm, you know, I'm speaking broadly, not mm-hmm. just about Jersey Mike's, but, um, and obviously it could not, it might not be a restaurant. For example, I was in a bank, on uh, Monday, yesterday, two days ago. Now I went into a bank, same thing. I get choices, right. About, um, what I'm going to pay attention to where I'm going to position myself, uh, and, and, and things like that. And I was, I was there for an appointment to meet with a banker. And so, you know, I get, I had to sit down for a while and wait. So I got to think about where am I going to sit? What, you know, which structure am I going to face? Or am I just going to stand over here? So, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot to this positioning concept. I think it's a pretty like cliche idea to sit with your back, uh, to the wall, but it's a super valid one. Like, I don't, like it could be as cliche as anybody wants. I think it's extremely valid. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the idea that I only have to be aware of 90 degrees or 180 degrees is super preferable to having to be aware of 360 degrees. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, so again, I think this is based on location that may, it, it may inform our decision as it relates to positioning in an environment like that. So uh, I'm in the fancy high-end restaurant in a high-end neighborhood. might not be as critical that I have to choose a table and a seat with where my back's against the wall. Um, That's at least that's kind of how I look at it. I mean, I used to be really like almost anal retentive about this uh, when I was a little bit less mature in my, my thoughts on, on risk assessment where my wife knew, I mean, she knew she's like, Oh, Riley's going to choose this spot against the wall over here where he can observe the entrance and exits and all of that. And I've kind of gotten to a place where again, yeah, like I, I, I totally, I, I don't, I don't freak out about, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, waitress or waiter or whomever i guess it's not really it's like the maitre d you know that i don't freak out if if they don't sit seat me in the place i want to be seated necessarily uh i might have other requests i mean jacob you and i i think are similar in this regard i don't like noisy environments so if given the choice i will ask to be seated somewhere that's a little bit quieter i know you do you have some some hearing challenges and uh actually greg talks about that in the article here uh talking about you know how he likes quieter environments too it allows him to hear and pick up on acts of violence uh, a little bit more easily uh you know breaking glass screaming victims he says and gunshots so i completely agree with all of that um so i mean again if given the opportunity and choice like yeah i tend to probably lean towards choosing a seat where i can observe things a little bit better but i don't go out of my way necessarily to do so unless I'm in a, in a location or a time frame where I think it might be more relevant. Or if I'm out to dinner or lunch or whatever with uh, 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 others that, that are like-minded. So I'll totally let you have, you know, your, your seat against the wall, Jacob, or someone else that I know and trust. And I know that they're, you know, they've, they've got my back. I'm not going to, you know, freak out about it. There's something else to, th- to throw out here too. I mean, just, just to, you know, to those of you that say, I got to have my seat against the wall. Well, if your loved one or family member or members are between you 
and where the likely threat may come from. Just give that some thought. I've, I've thought about that as well. I mean, it's, I think every situation I think has to be approached uniquely, but where it's like, well, I want to, I actually prefer to put myself between my loved ones and say the door or that kind of thing. Now I may not be able to observe as readily, but there's, there's other opportunities. Again, paying attention to others in the environment. Uh, maybe you have windows or glass or mirrors that I can observe things even with my back is towards a door. Um, there's all kinds of, I mean, every situation, every environment is different. Yeah, I think uh, I would happily put loved ones between me and the threat in order to maximize my ability to identify the threat sooner. But that's me. Uh, I, I'll just, I was going to add this one little thing, and that is from a deep amount of experience. I'm unusually qualified to tell you that if you just ask to be seated somewhere else, they'll seat you somewhere else. <laughs> like Usually, I, al- yeah. almost without fail, I walk into a restaurant and the hostess says, you know, how many? And I say, uh, it's X number. And we want to sit right there. And I point somewhere and okay. <laughs> like almost always. Okay. No problem. Or I'll, yeah. or to your point, Riley, I'll say like, what's the quietest spot Oh, over here. Great. Put me there. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, anyway, like it's just, I don't know if I've ever been told no, like maybe like, ah, well, we can put you over here. Oh, okay, great. Like they're going to accommodate what you ask for. Yeah. That shouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. Mark on Facebook says, if you're that worried, just stay home, cook your data meal instead. Well, first of all, I suck at cooking. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, on a serious note, uh, I'm never, I'm never that worried. I'm not. But anyway, yeah, I, I don't think, Mark, you're necessarily saying that toward, towards or at me, but uh, uh, are there people out there that maybe feel that way, I suppose? I, yeah, it's possible. Okay, so uh, here's something else that I think is arguably more important than some of what we've discussed so far, and that is the idea of pre-planning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So you know where you're going. You know what the environment it will be like. Uh, you perhaps have been to that location before. Maybe you haven't. And if you haven't, well, maybe you might research some things ahead of time. Uh, but the important thing here is to try to pre-plan your course of action should certain things occur. Um, as a good, I'm going to use a recent example, Jacob. Uh, recently, there was this big concert in houston right and all these people uh you know the 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 crowd started pressing forward and people started fainting and passing out and you know they had had to do cpr on people and carry them out and you know like what like 11 people i think so far have died from that incident um there's a large crowd event i i number one I generally don't enjoy those types of events. I generally avoid them. That might be one thing that I am, I don't know if worried is the right word, Mark. I just don't find much fun and enjoyment out of being in a mass of bodies in close contact, you know, listening to music that's, you know, where I have to wear earplugs or I'm going to go deaf. So, um, but, you know, like that's, that's a great example of, before this Houston event, people might not necessarily have thought in advance about 
contingencies for what if this, what if that. Now that that's happened, how does it change your pre-planning if you are going to uh, attend such an event or concert like that? How does the Harvest 91 festival shooting change, if anything, how you pre-plan and approach an event like that one? How does uh, situations like, uh, you know, there was that active shooter at a Oklahoma restaurant a few years ago, where fortunately two concealed carriers responded successfully in stopping and preventing that. Uh, you know, it's uh, the the these are all great examples of of things we can look to and say, well, okay, what if this? Then what? And that's how I look at the pre planning thing. Is I I need to identify, for instance, if it's a if it's a venue, where are my entrances and exits? Okay, knowing that ahead of time, very important and very relevant because what pre-planning is all about is having the plan ahead of time so that if we must do or execute a certain course of action, we don't have to then in the moment also be figuring out, well, well, okay, I need to get out of here, but where, where is that? Where is the exit, right? Knowing that ahead of time means that we can just simply execute. Yeah, we talk about this a little bit in our complete home defense course for those who have been through it. But for me, I I look at a response plan as a principle-based solution that's applied contextually to an environment. So, and this this is something that probably you've discussed with a family, you know, with a spouse or kids or whoever else, and everyone's kind of clear on on the plan, right? The response plan. So a a principle would be, um, first thing we're going to do is get together, like, you know, isolate, you know, group up you know, the, the loved ones. That's a, that's a principle. Now at a restaurant, that's pretty simple. Like here we are, unless someone's in the bathroom, in which case we got to go to the bathroom and get them. Um, but at the County fair, that might be different. Hey, everybody gets a hand a $10 bill. Like, I don't know if that would go very far these days, but when I was a kid, $10 bill would last you at the County fair. So everybody gets handed a $10 bill. It's like meet back here at 6 PM. Well now if like, okay, we got to group up that's contextually complicated, you know, place. Now we probably need to have pre, you know, once we get there, we probably need to designate a, a, a meeting place in order to make that work well or to be efficient. So the point is like build your response plan in a, in a principle based way, right? I'm going to get family together. I'm going to deal with any immediate threat if necessary. Then we're going to seek a position of, uh, of strength and, or, or, or whatever. And then we're going to escape or evade if possible, like, whatever, like build a principle based plan that's very simple and very easy to remember and easy to re- to explain and, and work together with and then apply it in in the context of the environment every time that's much easier to do right but it, but it's if, if everyone's on say like we just know like step one is like isolate the family get everyone together now like nothing else comes before that then then whatever environment we're in we're in like that's what we know is step one so anyway i thought there about response plans and being prepared yeah the next concept here is threat recognition. Well, honestly, I think this is probably the more difficult of these things to to really do. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, because it's one variable. Like, like we can control the location we go to. We can control. Uh, um, the you know positioning you know how and where we place ourselves we can control our pre our pre planning and what we do in advance but we don't control the actions of others 
and we don't always know exactly how someone will portray themselves. So it, this is where things get just a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more gray as far as less black and white as far as what it, really what threat recognition is about is recognizing and understanding others' intents. That's really what it's all about. And that's something that while it's deeply ingrained in our human psyche, uh, the ability to read other people uh, and pick up on cues and and social cues and body language, uh, we don't always do so with 100% accuracy. And the most skilled criminal actors are those that are able to actually appear as something that they are not. And so they actually are able to manipulate your perception of them. And that's where it gets really tricky. I mean, yeah, I mean, just to use as one example, right, would be some of the most famous serial killers that have ever existed where, you know, like, uh, for instance, uh, 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 Ted Bundy, right? He went to great lengths and was very skilled at appearing as a, it's just a normal, nice, handsome guy to these women that he took full advantage of and then killed, right? He went to so far as to wear fake casts and you know have crutches and things so he would appear less threatening, less intimidating, and even maybe would have a pity taken upon him, you know, as he uh, looked for his and seeked out his victims. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking necessarily that what what we need to be primarily concerned about regarding ourselves and the topic today is that we need to be on the lookout for serial serial killers. I'm just saying that, that even right down to uh, some of your on the street robbers and, and carjackers and things, deception is a classic tool of the enemy always has been and always will be. And it's it's a little bit more difficult to always pick up on the what what the actual intents of someone are when they are very skilled at manipulating perceptions. So, and to that point, and th- boy, and I'll tell you, this very thing is covered in Varg's book Beyond Uda pretty well, and he also talks about it from our perspective. What sorts of things can we do to? manipulate the perception of others that they have of us to either reduce our own victim victim profile or increase our deterrence against you know somebody that may be looking to harm us or something you know so interesting things to consider there but the the act of recognizing a threat I mean, there are some classic pre-assault or pre-attack indicators, things that we can look for, right? Um, in fact, there's a link right here in Greg's article that we're just, that we're using as the basis of this episode today that takes you over to an article that he that is titled. So I'm going to give you the title so you can go look it up if you'd like. How to Spot a Bad Guy, a Comprehensive Look at Body Language and Pre-Assault Indicators. It's a good primer. Go read it. Okay. I think that while we're pretty hardwired to notice things that are offered different in our environment, this is one of those things where you said it's it's a little bit more complicated. In my opinion, it's more complicated because it's not as natural. Like if you, like Greg Elifritz, if you spend a lifetime as a cop, 
then you probably are pretty well fine-tuned to identify those pre-assault indicators and things like that, yeah. uh, whereas somebody else might not. You know, So if you, if you come from a very violent uh, background or situation or life or your career, then, then you're probably more in tune with those things than the average person, than, than say me probably, who is not. So that generally means a little bit of study goes a long way. You know, reviewing uh, you know the active self-protection YouTube channel and being a subscriber of that, for example. And you talked about articles that you can read, and there's and and that article is quite good. It's got even some nice pictures and things like that. So the point is, it's one of those things you might actually need to study and learn. It's not as intuitive as it might sound like it should be. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Uh, the final piece of all of this is having confidence in your abilities. And I was I was actually really appreciative of Greg including this in his article because um, we I, I've seen this play out and and we see this sort of thing play out with uh, with law enforcement officers and I say when I say I've seen it play out well I mean I've I've done a little bit of work a little bit of work uh, in the law in law enforcement realm and those officers who are confident in their abilities handle themselves in stressful situations a lot more easily, a lot more readily. Uh, because if you, if when, when you know what you can do and what you are capable of from a skill set perspective, from a, you know, from the skill side of the equation, then you know when it's time to engage in certain courses of action and also when to withdraw or not engage or disengage because you may not have the skill set needed to, you know, to do a certain thing. Um, that, that knowledge of what you can and cannot do is really important and confidence is key. And also confidence becomes its own self-fulfilling prophecy in a way, because while confidence is simply a measure of you knowing what you can and cannot do knowing where your limits are uh, projecting confidence becomes a lot of times its own form of deterrence against threats. Um, it just, it just does. So, um, so I, I thought this was really good. Now, how do we achieve confidence in our abilities? Well, we have to practice. We have to practice a lot. And this is true of whatever skill we are talking about. Uh, if I want to have confidence in my shooting abilities, I have to practice it a lot. If I want to have confidence in my hand-to-hand combatives, jujitsu, any of that sort of thing, I got to practice it a lot. Uh, it, it just is a part of anything that we do in life. If we are going to be confident at doing it, it's something we have to do a lot and get to a reasonable level of proficiency and understand what that proficiency is. I, I think that there's a there's a process there. And I think the first step in that process is just knowing where I am at. You can be confident in your abilities and have crappy abilities. Um, you just are like, I know what I'm, I can do and therefore I'm confident in that thing that I can do, whatever it is. And mm-hmm. then, of course, you can increase those abilities. And that, yeah, that, that leads to maybe the same degree of confidence, but a higher degree of ability. So anyway, I think there's a distinction there. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I think that's that's why I'm I try to be careful when I say knowing what I can do mm-hmm. and also what I can't do. I think it's 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 yeah. twofold. That's yeah, it is for me it's two two separate things. Like 
One is like just having clarity on my actual skill set, what I'm capable of, which I think is where probably most of the people listening to this, based on our experience with our students, is where you probably fall short. And then second is this idea of, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to project and feel confident in the thing I can do. And I think that most of us are pretty good at that, especially men. We're just naturally more confident. So I think that both those things are important is, is my point. Both be, yes, like be confident, portray some confidence, but also actually know what you are capable of uh, and, and what that affords you in terms of uh, how much it buys you. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to pick at you just a little bit because I don't know if you know what you said, but, but what you just said is that men, I'm going to restate it. So correct me if I heard you wrong, that men are more naturally confident. That's true. Uh, I actually truly believe that's statistically valid. So we, and maybe the better word would be I'd, I'd, I'd like you to elaborate on that because I think yeah. some people might take the wrong thing away from that. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I mean, this. If, if, if I'm sexist here, I'm sexist against men, but I think men are more likely to feel confident and overly confident. Uh, we're more likely to be proud and prideful and we're more likely to overestimate our abilities than women. I think that all, that's just, you know, like statistically sound. I can see that. Yeah. Well, I, and I don't, I don't, yeah. I, okay. So, and I think that's really, really valid. I, I, I think that, um, I think psychology does bear a lot of what you just said there out. And I, I think it's something like Jordan Peterson talks about those sorts of things quite extensively, actually. And to your point, some people may perceive that as being a negative thing, but it, it's, uh, uh, but, but where, but sometimes what might be perceived as a, this is good or this is bad. I mean, it, it can, everything can go too far one way overconfidence to your point. Like we, we might hear confidence. Well, that's a good thing to have, but if you have too much confidence, it can be to your detriment. So anyway, okay. Yep. That, that was a good distinction. I think what you uh, touched on there. So, um, but, and that's not to say that, that not the, the, Anyone can have confidence in sure. their abilities, um, and I think it's something that's important for anybody to have. I think it's just as important for a a woman to have confidence in her abilities to handle herself in a stressful situation, just as it is for a man to have confidence in that. Um, now, men may be more predisposed to be a certain way than women, vice versa, but where it comes to life-saving skills, whether it's using a gun, a knife, a tool, whether it's using verbal judo, whatever it might be, uh, we can have confidence in our abilities when we practice those skills and we therefore learn what the limits of those skills are and that establishes the, the knowledge of what we can and cannot do and that brings with it confidence. One thing I noticed from some people, Jacob, and we're pretty much out of time at this point, but I, I just was reminded of a conversation I had with somebody who has a little bit of an imposter syndrome. Um, and that's something that I think is is difficult for a lot of people to overcome, where they begin this journey of becoming skilled at 
name your thing. Let's just say it's shooting. Let's just say it's gun handling, something to that effect, because it's something that we talk about quite a bit in our in our own uh, you know perspective. But um, somebody starts going down that road and they start becoming skilled. It's hard to wake up one day and recognize, oh, wow, I'm I have arrived at whatever this thing is, this skill level is. Uh, somebody I'm specific, I'm not going to mention them by name, but somebody that's come to mind that is more skilled than they give themselves credit for, and they haven't yet quite been able to discover their own confidence in what that skill is. And I think that'd be an interesting conversation to explore some other time. But anyway, just something to think about. I, I guess, in other words, is it's relevant to our conversation here today. Beware of imposter syndrome. Give yourself credit where credit is due. Sounds good to me. Yeah. So reviewing what we've discussed here today, we talked about uh, the, the, the possibility that exists and the potential dangers, which in this case, primarily a lot of times are not allowing ourselves to enjoy the finer things of life, of life with those we care about the most by being overly situationally aware and by ignoring the fact that we can use such things as location, positioning, pre-planning, threat detection or threat recognition. And then finally, confidence in our skills and abilities to be a little bit more nuanced and balanced in the level of situational awareness we employ. I think it's been a very worthwhile conversation today, and I'm glad we had it. You know, time to be in. Yeah. So, folks, I hope you've enjoyed this, this episode as well. If you... Did or did not, hey, let us know. You can always email us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. Uh, we always still welcome positive, primarily, reviews of the podcast, uh, <laughs> whether on uh, Apple or or Google or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Uh, we've had many, many, many wonderful reviews of the podcast through the years. We have many, many of you listeners out there of the podcast, and we thank you. And we thank you for being a part of this experience with us and <laughs> that's very, very funny. Sorry, Jake, I got interrupted because Jacob had to put on the screen. Big takeaway today from Mark Jersey Mike's is better than anything Riley has to offer. Well, we can agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now, by the way, for the record, I, I love Jersey Mike's. Uh, I think it's delicious. Uh, is it, the be- is it the best? I, I don't know. But it's the best. You will <laughs> never get me. You'll never get me to. I will never complain if Jacob, if you're like, hey, let's go to Jersey Mike's. I'll be like, yeah, Sam, a, a sandwich is a sandwich is a sandwich. No, it's not. <laughs> I to tell, tell your wife that I know she would not agree with you. <laughs> no, I like Jersey Mike's and I like I like uh, I like Jimmy John's. I like Firehouse. I like uh, I, pretty much anything that makes a sandwich. Subway is one of my lesser favorites, but you don't mind Subway so much. I would take Subway over Quiznos, but not over any of the other ones we've discussed today. Yeah. Anyway, we didn't come here to talk about sandwiches. Guys, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, Give this some thought, this topic here today. And, you know, as Jacob mentioned, in our Complete Home Defense course 
some of this stuff comes up. Okay. We talk about some of these things, especially as it relates to defending your home and, and the plan that you put in place uh, relevant to that. That complete home defense course is available in Guardian University. Okay. In our online video library, uh, Guardian Nation members get access to that for, for free, included as part of their membership. Or you can, you can buy that course outright. That is A-OK. But regardless, go to concealedcarry.com forward slash Guardian University to learn more about Guardian University and the content contained there. And then finally, again, the 2022 Guardian Conference. Heck, we had Chuck Haggard teaching at the most recent conference. We're going to have more content like what Chuck was teaching, uh, talking about dealing with with threats i mean dealing with uh i mean one of his, his uh, course he's most one of his most famous courses is managing unknown contacts that ties directly into a lot of what we just talked about today and folks you had the opportunity to attend a block of training like that from with chuck haggard at our 2021 guardian conference i think there's a high probability chuck will be back in 2022 and we may have other people involved teaching some other great life-saving skills at the 2022 uh, Guardian Conference. So go to guardianconference.com today, get signed up, and we hope to see you there. So it's time to bid you adieu. Jacob, any last words? Have a good life. Be happy. Yes. Yes, indeed. And be good people. So with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe. So you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.